1: Well, we've certainly seen a move up in rates here. Again, the 10-year Treasury, 1.53%. The third year, 209 We did touch 2.1%. So that got people's attention this week and kind of raising the issue of inflation and, and how does this equity market behave uh, in the, the, the facing some uh, inflation, both in the near term and longer term. Let's check in with Brett Ewing, chief market strategist at First Franklin Financial Services, joining us on the phone from Tallahassee. I think there's some university down there in Tallahassee. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, Might play against my dookies in the ACC. Uh, Brett Ewing, thanks so much for joining us here. Um, again, we inflation kind of rearing its its head here a little bit more for investors here. How do you think these equity markets perform in what is likely to be a you know a rising inflationary environment?
2: Yeah, great question. I think that, you know, the market is pricing in a continuation here of the inflation numbers. Um, We we saw supply chain reports coming out earlier in the week. And as we all know, the supply chain really hasn't been so transitory uh, going into this fourth quarter. So we think that that the pipeline there is going to improve. I think it's dependent on COVID. And I think that will help with the inflationary pressures in the spring. But it's going to take a little longer than we're all thinking. Um, yeah. I, I, I know it's very frustrating for uh, Chairman Powell, but, you know, I think I think they're probably going to go ahead and start the taper or announce it uh, formally in November at the next meeting. And uh, I think it's uh, due, though.
0: So let's talk more about those supply chain issues because it doesn't just impact, you know, monetary policy. There's also the earnings question because when your input costs are higher – Margins come into question, and especially as you know, we're entering now. I, I believe today is 230 days where we haven't seen a pullback of five percent in the S and P 500. How vulnerable are equities at these levels as we head into earnings season?
2: Yeah, um, I, I think last week we did hit an intraday five percent correction. We were hoping that we would get there. Um, these markets need to to have that correction. You know, the S and P just has gone almost 12 months without it. I, I think they can be vulnerable. I mean, look, uh, in 2022, we're going to have a lot of headwinds. We're going to have the Fed doing a taper program. We're going to also potentially have rate hikes going into the fourth quarter of next year. You know, the dot plot is moving forward as far as uh, rate hikes. Uh, we're going to have continued supply chain issues, potential hike in taxes. So I think these markets could be vulnerable. But going into the end of the year, we're still holding our price target on the S&P at 4,800. And I think we could rally into the end of the year before we get into a more volatile marketplace in 2022.
1: Yeah, that's a nice move up. You've got there forecast. I hope you are correct. How about, you know, a few weeks ago, we had a big shock to the market when China reared its ugly head and Evergrande and the concern about a, a, a contagion coming out of Asia. That seems to have ebbed a little bit. Are you is that on your radar screen?
2: We are still monitoring that, and it's not just about Evergrande anymore. China has a lot of debt issues, and that's just the first salvo. Um, We think there could be continued problems coming out of China. They've got housing issues. They've got major debt issues with some of their companies, and the crackdowns are doing in the technology sector and software sector and the the gaming industry and recently on Bitcoin. It's going to cause even more problems in in their economy, and that's what we're forecasting going into 2022.
0: Something else that could happen in 2022 maybe if you know things get together on Capitol Hill is higher tax rates to pay for longer economic or longer term economic spending. How do you factor that in when making investment decisions, the risk of that coming down the pike?
2: Well look, a hike in corporate tax rates, these big corporations, they certainly have the horsepower with their tax attorneys on their payroll to maneuver around as much as they can. It's the small business owner that's going to get clobbered. And that is the backbone of the U.S. economy. And that definitely will give some headwinds to this, uh, this economic outlook. Earnings growth is already in a slower growth mode as we go into 2022. Adding increasing corporate taxes is only going to a- exacerbate that.
1: Brett, got to ask you in a time left. Florida State Seminole football team, <laughs> what's going on down in Tallahassee?
2: Wow, uh man, it's tough. It's tough right now being a Seminole, but we do have faith in coach Norvell. He's a very solid individual, a great leader. I think I think they're going to e- eventually get their act together here. Um, hopefully this weekend play in Syracuse. All right, Brett
1: Ewing, mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it, Brett Ewing, Chief Market Strategist, First Franklin Financial Services on the phone from Tallahassee, Florida, and yes, he is a graduate of the, the Florida State University in Tallahassee. You know, when you think about it, when we, we talk to these smart people, these pros, Kaylee, there's a lot that goes into that wall of worry that yeah. is very tough to dismiss.
0: And yet, you continue to see the buying of the dip behavior. And to me, that really strikes, there's a contrast between institutional investors and retail investors. And how much is it, you know, retail investors that just continually come in and buy the dip that is actually continuing to drive us higher despite all the concerns and risk factors out there.
1: Yeah absolutely and I think uh, it's going to be very interesting as we go into this earnings season starting in a a couple of weeks the guidance we get from these Mm -hmm. companies you know it's going to be I think we're going to hear about these uh, supply chain challenges and the impacts that will have on its costs and you keep uh, correctly bringing up the margin pressure that uh, could eventually uh, come into some of these companies and so that'll be really interesting uh, to see kind of the guidance they have as it relates to the supply chain as it relates to inflation uh, and their margins going forward so again earnings as it seems to be every quarter will be very important uh, for this market as this market is at or near all-time highs on a daily basis we're gonna have more coming up this is bloomberg All right, looking at the DXY index, I'm looking back, you know, late May. It was around 89, 90. Here we are, 94 and change. Nice move in the dollar, dollar strength. Let's get to the bottom of that. Priya Misra, head of global interest rate strategy for TD Securities, joins us. Priya, is that just a flight to perceived safety over the last uh, couple of months here? What do you make of the dollar strength?
4: I think, uh, thanks for having me on. I think the initial move may have been, you know, just safe haven. But I, I do think there's an underlying theme here of US exceptionalism, mm-hmm. of the US outperforming the rest of the world um, on the growth front. And now, in the last week of the Fed starting the process of unwind, and they've sort of taken the drama out of the taper, we know when taper starts, when it ends. And if that means that U.S. rates and U.S. rates have been the underperformer in, in, in terms of global rates over the last uh, week or so, I think that's what's reflected in, 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 the, in the currency. Uh, the, you know the, the correlations between rates and currency do tend to rise when you're in these inflection points of monetary policy, and I think we're kind of there now.
0: So let's talk about those higher rates, Priya. Obviously, we're now north of 150, where it seemed for a while like we might never get back
4: to there. Is the bias for yields now firmly to the upside? I think in the long end, I would argue for some more time, yes, I think tapering is not entirely priced in. The Fed, uh, Chair Powell, suggested a much sooner end to tapering than what the market was priced for. So the market, I think, in the last week has been pricing in a faster end of taper or or a faster end to QE. I think there's a little bit more room in that. We're looking for 175 on the 10-year. I do think the front end is much more a function of economic data. We're going to uh, get payrolls next week. And our view is that that's where the economy is a bit choppy, in, in, or, or the recovery is not going to be a straight line up. So I think the front end, the zero to five year part of the curve, it's mm-hmm. not clear to me that the bias is higher rates just yet. We really need to see whether the structural labor market issues. Is participation rising, what's happening on the labor front. I think we need evidence of that recovery before those rates can rise a lot because we're already pricing in the first rate hike at the end of next year, which I think is a fairly optimistic view. So I actually think front-end rates are long fives. I think front-end rates can decline because we're going to realize that the economy has a lot of work to do on the labor market front and the Fed is going to let it run before they hike. But the long end is a different story. I think that's where QE actually matters a lot.
1: And, you know, you raise a good point there because we had uh, initial jobless claims this morning uh, came in a little higher than expected, uh, the highest point since early August, the third month in a row of, of kind of higher uh, initial jobless claims. Should we make a, too much out of that? Or How do you view that? Are you putting that into context? Is that a trend for you?
4: Yeah, we were scratching our heads a little bit about that. You know, there's always seasonals this time of the year. Just at the start of the new school year, we've often noticed seasonal quirkiness in the data. The supplementary unemployment insurance also ran off. It's also only a couple of states um, that showed the rise. So we're not thinking this is the start of a trend, but it's absolutely something we want to watch for. I think the claims are giving you a sense of, you know, firings and layoffs, while what we're trying to spend more time on is are people re-entering the labor force what's the the pace of hiring? Is is some of the supply chain disruptions that may be keeping, you know, production low, are those ebbing away? So I you know, our thought is that the labour recovery is still Mm. Continuing and that it's not reversing, but it's a slower process than I think what the Fed or the market would like to see.
0: Obviously, the labor market recovery and the resulting Fed reaction function is one thing that the market has to consider on the monetary side. On the fiscal side, I'm just wondering how you view the drama down in DC, not only the question around the debt ceiling, but also the question of what economic spending in the longer term is
4: actually going to look like in terms of a dollar figure. Right. That's a huge deal, particularly because we know there's going to be a fiscal drag for next year. So the extent of the drag, I think, is very important for every market to consider. And that's where this partisan, whether it's one or three and a half or nothing, I think it's going to have an implication for how much of a fiscal drag does the economy have to live through next year? Because growth is going to slow down. Are we going from 4% to 2 or are we going below that? Mm. I think the the fiscal package actually has a lot of bearing. Um, hard to tell our base case is that a one and a half to two trillion partisan plus the 1.2 and bipartisan will go through it's clearly not easy and then we've got this messy debt ceiling at least it seems like the shutdown is going to get resolved that's good but the debt ceiling is a tough one Um, and i think the market is absolutely ignoring it other than a small part in the bill curve i don't think any market is really pricing that in and it's one of those things where you hope and pray that you don't have to get to it but if you do the market implications, the economic implications are so high that I think being aware of that and hopefully we don't have to wait until October 17th to see what happens, but I'm not seeing a very clear consensus path of how the debt ceiling is raised.
1: Priya Misra, thank you so much for joining us. I really thank appreciate you. always getting your thoughts here on global interest rate. She is the head of global interest rate strategy at TD Securities based in New York City. We've got on the screen here a lot of uncertainty down in washington dc today and a lot of things have to happen right uh to get some of this legislation moving but the markets are kind of taking a wait and see action uh so will we but let's check in with a professional on the markets alan Rekschoff, and financial advisor and senior portfolio manager uh for ubs alan thanks so much for joining us here i'm a little surprised that the markets are kind of hanging in there given that we've got a lot of things building this wall of worry, whether it's rising interest rates, tapering, uh, legislative uncertainty down in Washington. How do you put it all together when you talk to your clients?
5: Yeah, Paul, that's, uh, that, that is the, the billion-dollar question. Uh, we have a lot of investor challenges, potential for higher taxation, inflation, all these ideas that are out there, government shutdowns looming perhaps. So all these things really are in the midst of a period of recovery after the pandemic. You know, we have a situation where we have a health crisis that's going to leave a world that's more indebted, uh, less global, more digital. But at the end of the day, there are going to be structural changes that happen as a result of the last 18 months that we've all lived through together that really could lead to extreme positivity spectacular positivity. And I think that the market is aware and has to balance both of those things, the realities of the uncertainty with the fact that we have a potential for unbelievable new things to happen over the next couple of years.
0: Well, you talk about how things have changed during the pandemic, and it's to such a degree that the word normalization is relative, you know, what is normal now. But when we talk about not just monetary policy normalization, but fiscal policy normalization and that being less supportive going forward, how do you think about that with the long-term lens?
5: Yeah, we have a situation on the monetary policy side, and we'll get to fiscal policy in a second, on the monetary policy side, where we have a... uh, a Fed, a Fed balance sheet that has doubled over the course of the finan- of the uh, of the COVID crisis, we had it quadruple over the course of the uh, financial crisis. So there's a lot of new money out there, and we have a Congress that is considering two bills right now that's going to spend more and more money. And so there is a real structural question about whether or not this can have long-term impacts on inflation. And the inflation question, the the transitory language notwithstanding has to be a question that goes beyond the academics, because we have a lot more money out there. And balance that with the uh, supply chain issues and everything Mm -hmm. else that's going on, and we really have to try to understand where things are heading in the context of these great changes. So the fiscal policy and the monetary policy of all this new money, really, we don't know where that's going to be. And that is the wall of worry that, that Paul referred to.
1: So, Alan, you know, Kaylee and I were just chatting off air about, you know, how consumer behaviors may change post-pandemic. You know, we've been through 18 months of this, whether it's getting back into the workforce, buying a house. When you talk to your clients, have you sensed that their outlook for their investments, their goals,
5: has, has anything changed? Uh, what, what I've seen change is this acceptance that we are in an inflationary period. I think that people feel that notwithstanding this idea of transitory inflation, once prices go up, uh, we don't see it go down so fast. And I think that the clients have are, are respectful of that in trying to figure out how to keep up with inflation. Historically, the stock market has been an excellent place to do that, and that's uh, you know one of the ways to stay ahead of inflation. But really doing that in the context of managing the risk of what's going on out there is, is a necessity. And it goes beyond you know, having bonds and stocks. It goes at looking at alternative investments and, and other potential. And, uh, you know, and this is by certainly not a recommendation and uh, certainly not an area of that, that we look at from an investment perspective, but certainly gives you some indications of people's thinking out there is the focus on the cryptocurrency market and mm. the fact that it gets quoted, you know, uh, by, by people on TV and looked at uh, very seriously because people are trying to figure out how do you manage the risk. For us, we really try to diversify throughout um, the, the listed security world and through alternative investments uh, to try to do that because of this uncertainty that's out there. And I think that uh, in answer to your question, that's what clients are focused on, yeah. is how do you balance the COVID realities, the fiscal po- monetary policy realities, with the fact that we have to stay ahead of inflation?
0: What do you tell a client who comes to you and says, I think it may be time for me to you know tilt more into cash?
5: you know, having cash as part of your portfolio, especially in a period of such dynamic change, is a must. At the same time, I think that the inflation picture is something that we have to be aware of. So we don't want to, it's not a matter of fear of missing out. It's beyond that. It's a matter of keeping up with the global pricing structure. Mm. It's being able to be able to buy the Coca-Cola for the same price, you know, two years from now that it is today, based on your assets that you have. So I think that people are it's it, look. There, there, there are numerous risks by by uh, taking an action, but there could be significantly greater risk by taking inaction. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, Alan. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really appreciate your perspective and your thoughts, Alan Rechshaffen. Financial advisor and senior portfolio manager at UBS, uh, based in New York City. Um, and again, you know, it's it's tough to be in cash because it's not you're not getting paid here, and on a you know a real basis, uh, you're losing money in cash. And so, it's, for a lot of folks, it's that Tina's situation kind of. There's no alternative. I need to be in the market. So that becomes a question of what do I own? You know, If we're, in fact, uh, heading into a rising interest rate environment, inflation uh, picking up, and it may not be transitory, what do I want to own in this market? So that tends to be the discussion for lots of folks. We're going to have more coming up. This is Bloomberg. Let's bring in right now Louis Navalier, Chairman, Founder, and CIO of Navalier & Associates. Louis, thanks so much for joining us here. I think as we think about these markets, Kelly and I were just discussing, this wall of worry is a real thing. There's a lot of stuff out there. How are you thinking about these markets when people might throw back, boy, we've got inflation, we've got earnings risk, we've got uh, uncertain Washington, D.C., we've got rising rates. How do you frame it all?
6: Well, I think the big picture that's happening now is obviously China's in recession, and um, we had that with their purchasing manager index this morning. And um, uh, Britain could be in a recession pretty quick too if they don't get their act together. Um, and then we have a green energy problem because anyone who's trying to comply is um, it's not working out. Uh, in China, it's uh, the, the hydroelectric's drawing down. So and they're trying to. They have rolling blackouts in many provinces, and, and obviously in Britain, the gas prices are up sixfold because the windmills stopped blowing. That's also hurt Germany, and yeah. um, it's it's a problem. And it's just uh, uh, we're going to have very high energy inflation, and uh, it's um, I think it's taking its toll. But the central banks can't raise rates
0: yeah. <laughs> because
6: the interest burden's too big.
0: Okay, so you just described a lot of things that I would think would be, you know, kind of negative for risk sentiment. But to Paul's point, we continue to climb the wall of worry. Buy the dip works every time. Is there a point where it's going to stop working?
6: Uh, I think it's going to work well in the next year because um, when you have inflation, it's either real estate or stocks. And growth stocks are a place to be. Clearly, some energy stocks are going to win fall earnings. But – uh, I don't have the uh, analyst estimate cuts um, that some people are starting to complain about, but I am finding fewer stocks to buy, um, hmm. and I am profiting from all the problems out there. I mean, I'm loaded with all this shipping and container stocks that are going to be profiting uh, from the the, the glut, uh, I mean the sh- the shipping glut, and uh, um, it's just it's a very interesting environment we're in. But earnings do work. Um, we are going to have. Positive third quarter results not as strong as the previous quarter. And then uh, we have season, seasonal strength in the last three months of the year. Uh, October is a season-strong month, despite October 87th. And uh, November is even better. So I expect a strong finish to the year. Um, I was very happy that every time the market corrects, um, the money seems to go to the dividend stocks. So money's not leaving the market. It's just sloshing around.
1: All right, Louie, you've been in this game a long time. You began publishing uh, your research advisory newsletter uh, in 1980. So you've seen economic cycles. The One of the areas that's really getting my attention over the last several weeks has been this global supply chain issue. We hear it from more and more companies affecting their businesses in more and more ways. It just seems like it's setting us up for some earnings disappointments, perhaps uh, not just in the near term, but maybe intermediate term how do you think about this global supply chain? Cause it doesn't seem to be fixing itself in the near
6: term. Well, other than only the container stocks and a lot of shipping stocks, I don't have an issue with it because, uh, I own TSM and UMC and microelectronics and TMC Taiwan semi. So they're making the chips that are in high demand, but, um, there's no doubt that the electrification has become a problem. And, um, because the electric cars will take more chips than, than the other cars. And, um, so that's it's it's a glitch. I mean, Taiwan Semis building a great big plant in Arizona, but it's just it's not ready yet. And uh so there's this fight for chips and it's very very sad and uh but at least I can profit from that and profit from the the shipping bottlenecks. Yeah. Um, food's a big problem because fertilizer's high and natural gas is, gets fertilizer prices up
0: up and, so, Louis. You, you're talking about things that could profit from some of the shortages out there, but that if there's a winner, there's always going to be a loser. So what would you be staying far away from in this environment?
6: Well, uh, that's a good question. I don't like the cyclicals. Um, uh, I like companies that dominate their business. They're monopolistic. Margin expansion is one of my big things. Mm. Uh, so I have um, sold all the Chinese retailers I had. I did that some time ago, though. Um, and, um, in the U.S., i S I'm very careful about retail. I do have Kohl's and some specialty stores. I have some sporting goods stores, you know, Dick's big five. Um, um, but I really do think we have to be very, very careful about, mm-hmm. uh, we have to watch the consumer. I mean, that's, um, consumer, uh, uh the conference board, um, uh, so yep. consumer sentiment, uh, dipped and that was not a good thing.
1: Hey, Louis! thanks so much for joining us once again. We always appreciate your time, Louis Navalier, Chairman, Founder, and CIO of Navalier uh, and Associates here. Again, um, interesting, you know, trying to pick the sectors uh, that are benefiting in the near term, such as the transportation and logistics companies uh, that are able to charge extraordinarily high rates here for their goods and services to get the goods uh, around the
2: world moving. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul
1: Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.
0: What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you?